You're listening to the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. I'm your host, Arden Cartret. This space is meant to be a tool for you to feel less alone and to learn more about how to get through what you've been through and what you're probably going through. We'll hear diverse stories from women and men in the online space, experts, and people just like you and me who are feeling the effects of miscarriage and loss in real time. This is the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me. Before we get started, I wanted to say um, your Instagram page, as somebody who feels really valid in my grief and helps other people feel valid, your posts still speak to me, even as a worker in this space. And so I can't thank you enough for the awareness and what you bring to the community. Whenever I first saw you sign up to record for the podcast, I was so excited that way I could learn more about your story myself. Well, you're welcome, and thank you for having me here. This is, um, I'm looking forward to having a chance to talk with you as well. Um, I feel like I kind of stumbled upon you a few months ago and have been learning a lot from you and the space you hold for people. So I'm uh, looking forward to this. Same. I think that we have a mutual um, admiration for each other. Yes. <laughs> um, so Always I, a good place to start. <laughs> that is. Um, I am just going to give you the space to kind of share your story. And you can share as much or as little. You can start wherever you want. This is really just um, your space for people to learn more about what you've been through. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I... I'm here today because I've experienced pregnancy loss um, in a few forms. Uh, my first losses, my first two losses were early miscarriages, one at about five to six weeks and one at about um, like around the nine week mark. And after those two miscarriages, I was able to get pregnant again. And that pregnancy uh, was my daughter, Dorothy, who unfortunately was stillborn at 30 weeks uh, gestation because of uh, an experience with severe preeclampsia and help syndrome that I also went through. And I'm also the mother to Frances, who is my living baby. Uh, she was born about four years ago, um, a, a little over a year after her sister passed away. And so um, I just spend my <laughs> free time, uh, really immersed in grief and talking about it and sharing about it because I, I remember how lonely I felt, not just, I mean, after my miscarriages, but especially after my stillbirth, um, I felt like there wasn't a space for me in the world. And it took some digging, but I found a community and I found a space. And, and I remember thinking, you know, people shouldn't have to work this hard to feel connected and feel like, you know, I, I, I was, ex I was excited to stumble across the lost community, but I, I thought, you know, we need more voices out there because there's so much to be offered here. And I, I don't want people to have to work so hard to find it. And, and so I started writing about, um, oh my gosh, like, I guess nearly five years ago now, I started the blog, An Unexpected Family Outing, first as a place to just share with 
my friends and family kind of like, this is what I'm going through. This is how I'm feeling. This is how you can help me. And it over time evolved into a place where uh, for not just for my friends and family, but for the greater lost community to come and, and hear my story and maybe find some connections with me. And over time that turned into a Facebook page. And then in the last, I've had an Instagram kind of all along, but in the last six months or so, I really committed myself to using Instagram as a platform to connect because for me, I've found that to be the place where I've made my strongest and longest connections. And I want to be a space, a very inclusive space for anyone who's experienced any kind of loss. And so that's kind of where I'm at, I am at this point in time. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I, and I always feel so drawn to the name of your blog. Do you have a story behind it or like? Yeah, we do. Because I'm not yeah. creative at all with like names of things. And so I'm always so fascinated whenever I, I see names. So I'd love to hear that yeah. story. Yeah. Thanks for asking. I, I shared it once or twice, but um, I, yeah, I, it's funny, right? Because I feel like it just kind of happened. Otherwise, I would have been in the same boat as you. Like I would have been like the stillbirth blog. Like I wouldn't have exactly. known what to call yeah. it. Um, so when we went to the hospital when I was pregnant with Dorothy, I was admitted around like 28 and a half weeks because, like I said, I had developed severe preeclampsia. And and we we kind of all of a sudden had to leave work and home and and realize that we we're going to be spending a fair amount of time at the hospital and the suddenness with which we left, left us to kind of leave our, my husband and I to leave our jobs very unexpectedly. And my husband was, uh, he, he and I are both teachers. I teach kindergarten, he teaches high school, and he was supposed to have parent teacher conferences that night. And so he had to leave and he really had no way of like letting people know at the last minute that conferences were canceled. So he hung a sign outside his door that said like unexpected family issue or something like that, right? And so the next day when I had stabilized and we were moved to kind of more permanent spot in the hospital or a long-term spot, he and I were talking and I just said to him like, how did you, how did you let people know you weren't going to be there? And he told me and we kind of, you know, laughed. We got both definitely cope with things with a little bit of like gallows humor. Um, and so we just started kind of laughing, thinking about like, on a, you know, like, oh, an unexpected family meeting, an unexpected family outing, you know, like all of a sudden we just up and went to Disney World or something like just kind of laughing about it. And then those words and unexpected family outing kept like kind of snuck their way into my, you know, subconscious. And and I thought on them a little bit over the next week or so, because I was trying to think of a way to like communicate to people. At that point, we thought we were going to be in the hospital for many weeks waiting for Dorothy, for me to be, to for me to be taken care of and for Dorothy to be born. And so I was toying around then with the idea of like doing a blog or a Tumblr or something to let people know how we were doing. So I wasn't having to have deal with phone calls and emails every day. And and that name kind of was tumbling around in my head. And, and I never got the chance to write about that experience because it, it, you know, 
we uh, a week into my stay in the hospital was uh, when we found out that Dorothy had died and, and, you know, things went in a completely different direction, an unexpected direction, if you will. And so when it came time to name the blog, that was the first name that popped up into my head and I just found it. I found it to continue to be so fitting because this is, you know, there's so much about parenthood in all forms that's unexpected. And I just feel like that is the theme of our family's life and culture is embracing the unexpected and and understanding that that's, you know, kind of, even though it's the unexpected, it's actually the norm for us. Um, And it's really the norm for so many families because as much as we want to plan out every detail and moment of parenthood and how we get here, um, so much of it just falls into the, oh, that wasn't what I planned, or that wasn't the direction I thought this was going to go in. So, so it's, it's become just very, it's one of those titles that kind of came from a strange place, but ends up being really fitting. And, and I don't know. And sometimes I don't, I, I don't even think about it until someone like you asks. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's where it was all those years ago. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. That is a a really, um, I I love the way that it just kind of unfolds, even though it's such a terrible situation. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I always say that in these talks because these talks are for such horrible reasons, but, um, you know, things come out of them like your blog and like your page. And I think that's another reason why I'm so drawn to you because I also write through grief. That's just how, like, I don't really write in other capacities. I've really struggled writing about motherhood because I don't feel necessarily like, um, I don't know, that's never where my words or my feelings go towards. It's mm-hmm. always related to my grief and my loss. And so I've, I felt drawn to you since finding your page because, you know, your your living baby, you said is four years old? Yeah, yeah, she just yeah, turned and- four in March. And so you, you know, you still talk about grief and you remind us that it doesn't just go away because there's a child earth side. And so I think that that was really validating for me as a mom after loss, because sometimes it's hard to remember that we can still grieve what we've lost before our child was here in our arms, I guess. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe you've found something similar with your experience writing, but sometimes to write about these really raw emotional moments of your life you need some space from them because you need some you need the ability to gain you know a wider perspective and so I am still writing about things that happened you know like on the day Dorothy died right like there's still moments there that I'm unpacking because there's so much there to unpack that if I were to do it all at like at once, it just, it wouldn't be helpful because I would just overwhelm myself with all the feelings and and emotions that go with it. So I find, you know, it can be confusing sometimes, I think for people when they first come to my page, because I write about things that seem like I'm very close to the day that, you know, Dorothy died. And then when they find out, oh, it's been over five years, you know, I think it surprises some people, but I think that allows me the opportunity to write about this, you know, from a place that's not so raw and not so emotional. Um, And because I think there are people out there who are doing that, who are writing about things in the moment. 
And I think that's really valuable. And I, the feedback that I get from a lot of the people who come to my page is it's also helpful to hear from me who's five years out when they're sitting there, you know, two weeks, two months, less than a year out to see how, you know, grief can still be a part of your life. You're not going to forget your baby. Cause I think that's a fear for a lot of moms and, and dads, you know, is like, if I don't let myself feel this like heavy in my grief, I'm going to lose that connection with my baby because that is a huge part of our connection with our children who have died, you know, is the grief. But it shows you that, you know, that grief comes along with you and it ebbs and flows and evolves and and you can hold on to that. And it also gives you a perspective on the things, you know, your your time and space gives you a perspective to talk about these things in a way that's, you know, maybe a little less in the moment emotional and a little more of like, this is how I've coped with that. And I think that coping piece is a really important uh, tool that we can talk about in our lost community. And it's talked about in, in all kinds of accounts and pages and, and people talk about this is, is that coping aspect. Like, I know that this feeling is valid, but how do I, how do I live with this feeling? Like the like having it validated by someone is so important, but then the next step is okay. So I know that this fat feeling exists, but like, how am I going to actually move forward feeling the way I'm feeling? And so that's, that's one of the things I try to offer on, on my page as well. Yeah. And I, um, I was one of those who wrote in real time. So I think writing after the fact has been challenging because of that, because I mm -hmm. feel like I wrote about it one way and now I'm seeing it another way or I'm remembering different memories or my trauma hits differently, or I don't know, it, it's, it's a very, to be removed, you're exactly right. It's almost like you can kind of see the fuller picture in a way. Mm -hmm. um, like I'm still remembering things from my losses that even though I wrote about them the next day, I didn't write these things down because I completely blocked them out. And that's just, yeah, I've never really thought about it or I've never really related so hard to somebody because it's been, um, I talk about this on Instagram a lot is being creative, not talking about grief is like impossible yeah. because it's just, yeah. this is where my mind is all the time mm -hmm. because I'm always grieving. And I think in my work as a miscarriage doula, people ask me, they're like, so when does it stop hurting? And I always remind them, I'm like, well, by getting support, no matter if you get it from me or you get it from somewhere else, it's never not going to hurt. It's just mm -hmm. you learn to cope with it. And I think that that's mm -hmm. something that um, is really valuable to, to share with people. Yeah. And what I, I really connect with what you're saying about having a hard time writing about topics that aren't related to grief. So I have done some more mainstream writing for different outlets and, and I, you know, I get involved with these groups and um, these publications and, you know, I come in as, you know, the grief person, right. Or like the miscarriage lady or whatever. And then I find myself surrounded by all these people who are writing about all these other aspects of motherhood that I'm experiencing because I am fortunate enough to have a living child. But I, for a while struggled because I felt like I should also be writing about that. 
because, you know, here I am, I'm a person who writes about my experiences, but the only way I could really write about Frances is connected to her sister and connected to like how I raise a child who is, you know, a, a, a griever and in creating that grief culture in our household. And so I lost myself for a little bit because I was trying to write what I thought I should be writing. And, and I've done this a couple of times, you know, like it's been five years. So I, I keep trying out different things, but I always come back and land here, like right in this grief world, in this world of like, you know, complicated emotions and feeling all the feelings and holding space for, you know, the both and, and, and so I really connect to that because I, I think I could write about other things, but it, anytime I would have something published that was more about, you know, living motherhood, it never, I felt like I was, I don't know, putting it on, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I, like I wasn't, I wasn't doing, it was, I didn't have the same connection to my writing as I do when I sit and write the things I write now and, and have written over the years. And, and there are times, even though I do have space from it, I can tell when I've touched upon an issue in my own grief that I've not spent a lot of time processing or, or healing from, because, um, those are the pieces that I, I cry when I write. Um, or I cry when I read them to my husband um, after, because I always read them to him to make sure that like, there's no terrible spelling errors or <laughs> omissions, you know? And the ones that I, I start crying on, I'm like, oh, that's something I need to spend some more time with because for me to be that emotional reading these words, you know? Um, and, and I'm emotionally connected to everything, but to have that kind of visceral of a reaction. When I first started writing, and you may have experienced this because you said you wrote in the moment, um, you know, I would like weep while I'd write things, you know, it would just feel like this purging of emotions Mm -hmm. and, and it feels less like that, but there are some times I feel like, you know, but there are some times where I will find a a topic or, you know, a moment that I write about and I, I experience that same purging. Yeah, and I definitely used it as like a, a a healing technique in the moment, but I've always been somebody who like writes down what I'm going through. Um, so like it's never perfect or anything like that. I just have to like get it out of my head type of thing. Um, and I really relate to what you said about losing yourself in writing yeah. because that, I mean, I'm still in that place to where I just, I have no connection to anything except for how grief has played into my motherhood journey but then it's sometimes I also worry like am I you know am I forcing myself to kind of still bring this grief up because I'm always thinking about it but it's it's really validating to talk to somebody who's in a similar space and you know years ahead um because that makes me feel better because I definitely feel like whenever I've written about pregnancy or even pregnancy after loss I feel like I put it on like that's just not because the truth is that was terrifying like yeah. <laughs> there's nothing that I could say that was like glamorous or beautiful about it yeah because it's so I terrifying know. and nobody wants to hear that I know it's hard because I I <laughs> people will you know direct message me or, or write underneath 
um, or when I do like an ask me anything kind of thing, I always get a question about like, how did you cope with your pregnancy after loss, which is a, such a great question, right? And I very honestly answer, I'm like, I don't know, like I just <laughs> day by day, you know, like I did, there was things I did, but I just, if I think back to that moment, it's, or that period of my life, it's such a blur because I mm -hmm. was, you know, not even, I, you know, like I said, Francis was born a little over a year after uh, Dorothy. So I was on the same timeline, like their pregnancies matched up pretty much like on the money, like throughout. So that was really triggering in a lot of ways. Cause it's like, Oh, it's the first week of December and we're going in for a 20 week anatomy scan. We've been here before. Right. And like, Oh, it's 28 weeks. And I'm going for this appointment. I remember that one. Like, and so it was just so much about taking every, just taking it moment by moment. Um, I was in therapy at the time. I mean, I guess that's my thing, like therapy. That's how I coped. I coped because I knew once a week, Mike and my husband and I would go to a place and I could just say the things I needed to say and not fear being judged or being, you know, because it was hard to let, I feel like pregnancy after loss is one of the hardest times to let people in because people don't want you to be sad. They don't want you to be mm -hmm. scared. They don't want you to be worried. So when you try to voice that, you kind of just sound like a Debbie Downer, right? You know, like we'd call up people after family and friends after appointments, you know, milestone appointments and be like, you know, baby looks good on the ultrasound, like everything went well and everyone would want to throw a party. You know, they were like, yay. And we're like, okay, well, like pump the brakes, you know, like thumbs up, but like, let's not get too excited here because we're only at this point. And also, Hey, did you guys know like babies can die up to like the end of a pregnancy, you know? And I just felt like, felt like that SNL, I don't know if you watch SNL, but that know, SNL character yeah. um, <laughs> that Rachel Dratch used to play Debbie Downer. And like, there mm -hmm. were times like I would be talking to someone like on the phone and I could like hear my husband in the background you know jokingly again <laughs> gallows humor and he'd be like wah, wah, you know like there she goes again but I just wanted that validated so much that it's like I and I think for me that's one of the biggest takeaways or one of the biggest things I've learned about myself over these last five years is I have no space in my life for like that that forced positivity, toxic positivity, whatever mm -hmm. it is you want to call it. Um, because it just doesn't feel good to me. It feels uh, disingenuine and artificial and contrived. And, and that's just not how I present myself or, or live my life. Like I just, for my own mental health, like I, I need to be able to like lean in to all the feelings. And, and so yeah, it's sometimes hard for me to write about pregnancy after loss even still because I don't feel like I have any good tips or tricks, right? Like I feel like I'm the one you come to, even with grief stuff sometimes too. Like I, I don't feel like <laughs> I'm always the one you come to if you're looking for like a big dose of like hope and feel good things. You know, I think there are other pages that I even myself turn to for that because I feel like I'm the place you come when you want to like say it sucks. 
and mm-hmm. where you want to like, I'm the place, I'm the friend you come to when you just want to be like, I hate this. This is awful. Like, and I'm just going to nod my head and go, yep. Like no, and nothing else. Like I don't have anything else for you because that's how I, that's for me, the most supportive people after my miscarriages and after Dorothy's death were the people who just came and sat with me when it sucked, like, and didn't try to fix it or change it or make me feel better or make me see the positive. They're just the people who came and sat and literally sat on my couch with me. And um, I talked about this in another interview I did recently. I had this aha moment while I was talking about it that those people that I look back on who came and just sat with me in the like, in the sucky place are some of my very closest friends to date. Like those are my people. And, um, and, th- and that's why they're my people because I, I need people who are just are willing to sit in the hard stuff. And I think that's a, that's hard for people to ask for because you run the risk of sounding negative and ungrateful and pessimistic. And those are things we've been like as a culture, as a society, especially as women that we've been trained not Mm -hmm. to sit in. We've been trained to always be grateful, you know, like even when things are bad, like focus on what you have. And, you know, obviously I know you're a believer in this too. It's, it's a both hand, right? Like, of course I'm grateful and this sucks. Like both Mm -hmm. are true. (laughs) So I, yeah, I think, I think that's, yeah. So I can, I can relate to that um, struggle of, of how to be, you know, a helpful voice for some topics. Yeah. And I always tell people because um, I hear a lot of times people will say, well, I know somebody has it worse. And I remind them that this is what they're going through. This is, this is their worst. You know, um, there's no, I hate that comparison thing. And I also, um, I love, I love them just sitting in silence. Like it sounds so weird, but like I tell people if they're not ready to talk about it, especially whenever I meet with them and they're sharing that they're nervous or they don't really know what to say. I'm like, that's okay. We can just sit here. And yeah, like I'm here whenever a thought comes and, you know, I'm just, I'm holding this space because that's what I really needed people to do for me. And people just wanted to give me advice that wasn't helpful or tell me that everything happens for a reason when that didn't make any sense to me because I couldn't understand why would my baby have to die for a reason. Um, And so I think that that's a really important thing. And I don't think, I think whenever I was going through my miscarriages, I, um, I was like, oh, I have to stay positive. I have to do this. And if I'm positive, positive things will happen to me. And that didn't happen. (laughs) You know, like it wasn't until I kind of just leaned in to like, this sucks and that's okay. We'll get through it because we have no choice type of mentality. Um, That really, that that helped me the most. Yeah, because it's so, I, this is like where my grief self intersects with like 
my kindergarten teacher self. Like I'm a big proponent of social emotional learning in my classroom. And I feel like there are times when I bring my grief stuff into the classroom and I bring my classroom stuff into my grief work. It's, I tell my kids all the time, like, you know, like we in kindergarten, we learn about feelings and how to identify them and how they make our bodies feel like physically and our minds and our hearts. And, and one of the things that, you know, I teach kids is like, do you think, you know, the question I pose them is like, you know, do you think you can only feel one way? Mm-hmm. And at first, you know, a lot of kids are like, yep. And I'm like, oh, have you ever been happy you know, to like come to school, but also sad because you have to leave your mom and dad. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, do you think you're feeling more than one thing? And they're like, "Uh uh-huh. And I'm like, so that's life, like, you know? And, and so I feel like that's something as adults, we don't always grasp because we're so afraid. We think that leaning into a hard feeling means leaning out of a positive or more like happy feeling Mm -hmm. and you can lean into both. And sometimes you have to just lean into one, right? Like you're in survival mode and you have to just kind of focus on one thing and that is totally okay too. But, but those feelings don't go away. If you don't lean into them, they just manifest in a different way, like grief and um, emotions and hard feelings. Like I'm a big believer that they, they are in you and they will find a way out. And it might not be like in that week or, you know, it could be years down the road, but like, you have to honor your emotions. You have to honor your experience by leaning in and, and, and saying like that it's okay to feel this way. And on something I do, you know, when I do mindfulness activities with my students, you know, we don't just do mindfulness activities where we focus on our happy feelings. Like sometimes we do a mindfulness activity where I ask them to look, you know, inside themselves. Do you have anything you're angry about today? Do you have a worry? Do you have a fear? Like today we're going to focus on that and we're going to figure out a way to cope with that feeling. And, and I know for myself growing up, I just wasn't, I wasn't given opportunities to cope with more negative emotions. And I'm working really hard with my own students and then with my own daughter, Frances, to really just acknowledge and validate and let those feelings exist and, and let, let people know that it's, it's okay. And adults need a lot of work with that too. And I just want people to know, like, it's, a, it's never too late to, to shift that. I mean, I feel like myself in the last five years, I've done a lot of work on that. And unfortunately it is a lot of work, right? Like, and it, it feels uncomfortable and it doesn't always feel it's exhausting and it takes a lot out of you. But I think overall, I'm really grateful to have done that work because I mean, I know I'm grateful to have done that work because I think it makes me a more empathetic human being. I think it allows me to hold space for people and to also do some of the other like hard work that's out there in the world for us to do around, you know, social justice and, and anti-racist work and things like that. There's, I think there's a real intersection between those of us who, you know, can hold space for ourselves and our ability to hold space for others. 
That's a really great point. And that's something that I don't feel like I talk about often because it, it hasn't really come up like that, but I, yeah, I feel like my, it's like the way I, I see things are so different now and the way I empathize with people, you know, like black men and women, I have no idea what they go through, but I feel so heavy for them. Mm -hmm. It's where I, I was aware of those things before, but I didn't feel it the way I feel it now to where now I want to fight that fight. And now I want to learn more. And like, it's, it's really, that's a great point because I do think that my fertility journey, my miscarriage, my grief journey, I think that that has all played a point into where I am today with those things and wanting to change those as well. Well, and you know what it's like, I mean, I'm speaking for you, but I'm assuming you know what it's like to be, um, to be, to not be acknowledged, to Mm -hmm. not, to, to say your piece, like to say, this is how I'm feeling and to have someone come in and try to convince you, you feel otherwise. And that's something I see, you know, in other accounts that are doing this really important like anti-racist education and and work and I see people put themselves out there and say this is how it feels to be a black mother um and then people come in and go oh but that's not what it is and it's like I've I've been I haven't been there like in their direct experience but I've been there where I've put myself out there and had people come in and try to convince me otherwise it's not helpful that's not, that's mm-hmm. not doing anything. It's that same kind of platitude, you know, like no one in the grieving community wants to hear your platitudes. We don't want to hear your, your one-liners. And I think it's the same when it comes to that, that work, you know, it's not about quick fixes and checking boxes. It's like circling back and lifelong. And, and that's daunting for people because we've been, again, trained to you know, like check the box and move to the next thing. But there's, I think so much about living life as like a full-fledged griever that has showed me that, you know, yes, hard stuff circles back around, but also along with hard stuff circling back around and going through that hard stuff, the, all the other stuff circles back too. Like, it's just, it's a, it's a process. It's, And, and I think, you know, you have to, you have to work to get to a place where you're, you're not afraid to make mistakes in, in, you know, supporting people. Cause even like, I, I still, when people come to me and tell me their story, and if it's not a story that I'm familiar with, like I've not encountered somebody with that story, or I don't have a lot of experience with that myself. And I'm thinking mainly around like infertility, because that's not an experience that I hold. That's not something I've lived. I find myself sometimes overthinking, like, okay, what do I say? How do I be the most supportive person? And then it always comes back to, so they're not looking for you to fix this. They're not looking Mm -hmm. for you to like help them find their way through this. They're coming to you because they just want somebody to listen. And so that's your job here. You're, you know, and something my husband and I have been working on just in our own <laughs> marriage and relationship is when we come to each other with problems is the first thing, like we'll ask 
is, you know, do you, do you want, you, do you want me to listen or do you, are you looking for advice? And that's really helpful because it's like, if you just want me to listen, I'm just going to listen. Right. And I'm not going to put advice on you, but if you are actually looking for a way to like deal with this, then, um, then, okay. I'm going to think on that as well, but yeah. I'm sorry. I feel like we're not talking a lot about miscarriage, but, no, <laughs> but I think no, this no, is really important so, because it is I, so think, important. I think it, I, I just, um, I think that having these, I'm so grateful that you're having this conversation with me because I think that this is kind of like the next level of conversation that we need to have is like how our experiences can help us to like be more empathetic empathetic like human beings and be better allies for people in all kinds of experiences so thank you it shapes everything like it it, it really does and I did and I didn't know that until I had Cameron and I think that's why um my work just changed and and so much about like my grief changed too because it really showed me that it affects everything and I I thought that once I had a baby like I would no longer miss the babies I lost, but it's not even just missing them. It's what happened to me during those moments and what happened to me during those years of losing them. And, you know, we change and we're not the same people. And at first that's really sad, but now I like who I am now, even though I have Mm -hmm. a lot of baggage, but, you know, I am a better human. I'm able to be a better human because of these life experiences. And, and I think that's a, I, I think it's awesome that you're saying that because I think that's something we are afraid to say because it, it feels like, because you're not saying that your babies had to die for you to be this person, but you have become this person because of how you've chosen to, you know, approach your grief and and live your life. And, and I think they can get a little, you know, like a little tangled up in each other because it's, I think it's hard for people to say like, oh, I like the person I am. You can like the person you've become and also wish that terrible things hadn't happened to you. Like you didn't need to go through. And I think, you know, so it's, I think it's really important that, you know, like, I love that you're saying that out loud because I know sometimes I even, I struggle with like, how do I word this to let you know that like, I totally wish that none of that should have happened, but excuse my swearing, but, um, I, I'm so, I so am learning to love the person that I am and, and who, you know, like how I approach life now and, you know, I've got, we don't always love it. (laughs) You know, we say this, but we don't always love it. There are days where You know, oh. it's it's just like you were saying, like, sometimes I'm like, I wish I didn't have to be this version of myself. Like, I, I totally miss yeah. the blissfully unaware, just like, yeah, I, I, don't even, I, I can't I, even describe my older self because I'm so far removed. But like, mm-hmm. sometimes I just wish I could be back there because it's so heavy to be this person. But it's also, so heavy. It's, I, ugh, yeah, it's, it's I, said, I said something to Mike, like a few weeks after Dorothy died and I like vividly remember this conversation we were in our room crying again because I felt like that's all we did for the first few weeks um which is totally fine I'm a big proponent of crying um 
but I just said to him, I'm so, I'm so like upset because for the rest of my life, I feel like I'm always going to be a little sad. Like, I don't feel like there's ever going to be, you know, a day of my life that's not just like, has that, that where sadness doesn't just brush up against it a little bit. Right. And, and it takes a lot to like, that feels terrifying in the beginning because you're like, I don't want that. But then as you start to embrace all of these complicated emotions that are swirling around inside of you, you realize like, you know, it, that's okay. It, it is, it's going to be okay. And I'm, I'm always saying like, and I say this to my students, I say this, you know, I've said this on my page before, like, if, why would we, why would humans be capable of such complex emotions if we weren't meant to feel them, right? Like, why would these things exist if we weren't meant to experience them? I just, you know, and I, you know, like, it's a little, a little existential, but it's kind of, you know, where my head goes sometimes. It's like, I, I just really, truly believe that one of the things that sets humans apart from like other living forms is our ability to, you know, and, and, and I know animals can empathize and feel too. Other animals can empathize and feel too, but sorry, it's getting really biological, but um, (laughs) (laughs) so I don't want to like insult any like elephants out there or anything. Like I know they're all really compassionate, but, um, but like that we can, we can feel all these complex emotions. And I think that's what makes humanity such a, can make humanity such a beautiful thing. Yeah, I totally agree. Rachel, I can literally talk your ear off all day. I know. Um, <laughs> I just so. looked at the clock. I was like, no. <laughs> I know. I, um, I welcome you back to talk about grief anytime because I think that so right. many people are going to find this conversation so helpful. Um, yeah. And I just, I, mean, I cannot thank you enough for your words of wisdom. And like, like I said at the beginning, it's like, even though I, I feel pretty confident in my validation that I give yeah. myself at this point, I still find so much validation from the things that you share. And um, I'm very appreciative. Like you're helping more than just people who are struggling to find that in the first place. Well, and I think I'm so glad you say that because like, I think people don't realize that those of us who, you know, have maybe created these like communities or these platforms where we're talking about grief and sharing our experiences that we have like people, we have our own people we turn to, you know, like I have my people that I like my accounts, I follow where I'm like, where, where I go to seek validation. And, and, you know, I think that's really important is that we, you know, again, like we haven't checked any boxes here and we're, even though we're confident and have found validation, have, you know, been able to validate our own grief for ourselves. Like you still are always needing some kind of support. And that's what I think I love so much about the like Instagram community. I just feel like it's Mm -hmm. so much easier for me to connect with other people um, and other accounts. And, um, and so really grateful for that. So, and I'm really grateful for you and the the space you're making here. I know how much work goes into what you do. And um, I just want you to know that we see, we see that and it's so appreciated. Appreciate it. Thank you.
Thank you, Mocha. I appreciate that so much.